Welcome to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to be a community of believers proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship, discipleship, and service. Our prayer is that you are transformed by the word of God in the following message. And we trust you are using this podcast as a supplement to your participation in a gospel church near you. Let's now hear what God has for us. I'm glad to see you this morning. Welcome to Edison Street Community Church. Most of us know that you shouldn't touch a live wire. I'm not going to ask uh, for a poll here of how many of you have, uh, because that means you've lived to tell about it. So that's a good lesson for the kids who are here today. Don't touch live wires or put things in outlets, all right? Um, but maybe this relates a little bit better to you. There's a scene, and I'm not really up on my Marvel verse or whatever those um, uh, superheroes are, but there's a scene from one of the Spider-Man movies where the villain um, gets electrocuted and survives, and then he basically feeds and builds his superpowers on touching more electricity, and like the end scene is him going to the electric grid, right? Of of the of Gotham or the city wherever he is, and, and uh, right, I'm I'm mixing my my I know that much, okay, all right. Now if I mess up on the Bible, now you can, you know, weep. All right. So, what's the point of sharing that point about electricity? Because obviously that's fantastical. That doesn't happen in, in the real world, really, where you touch so much electricity and, and, and live to tell about it and gain more power. Well, I'll connect that in a, in a second. Um, but we are in our second week of a series that we are calling Rich Toward God. And I know you, for those of you who heard last week, Pastor Eric already uh, sort of gave the disclaimer, um, the non-apologetic disclaimer that I echo and stand by, because um, most of us have the... Um, suspicions that whenever a preacher uh, gets up in a pulpit and talks about money, that there's some kind of twisted underlying motive, all right? Well, we are all full of ill motives, um, so there may be some of that here, but I, I assure you what I'm trying to do today is introduce you to a live wire, a grace current that's utterly electrifying for the Christian life. And we find that live wire, grace current, in the second book, the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Today I'm going to be preaching about the supplies of a generous life from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have a Bible, please turn there. As you're turning there, let me situate us in the book of 2 Corinthians. Well, we know that there might have been actually more correspondence between the Apostle Paul and this church that he loved so much, uh, but they had a difficult relationship. If you read 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that he's just addressing one problem after another after another. And this letter, he comes and he's basically applying the, the balm of the gospel uh, to them, to their church culture, and also, he's having to play a little bit of self-defense because pastors and the apostles of the time were confused and often misunderstood. But for the most part, this is a letter of encouragement. 
And when we come to the, the chapters 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church in light of the example of the Macedonian church. Now, those two church bodies were not necessarily all that far away from each other around the Mediterranean basin over there. Uh, but Paul was using this Macedonian church that we heard read about earlier, all right, a group of saints who had a severe affliction. They were poor, but yet they had an energy to give. And what was the cause for the giving? Well, the cause for the giving was that word got around the whole Mediterranean region that the mother church, the church in Jerusalem that started this whole gospel movement, if you will, was suffering some sort of dire need. So much so that the apostle Paul says, hey, on my next trip over there, I want to bring them a gift. And so he makes this appeal to the churches that had been established along his different missionary travels. And so he goes. And he comes to the Corinthians and he says, you know what, you guys, you guys told me that you wanted to be a part of this. Now, time's like ticking, like we need to get this offering into Jerusalem. And hey, if it's any incentive to you, you should know about the Macedonians. These are people who hardly have anything in their banks. They have hardly have a, a dime to their name. And they have given and given and given. They've been eager to give. Now, when are you guys going to come through with your side of the deal kind of context, okay? So that's what we're going to pick up, the tail end of this appeal to join in this particular offering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I will read verses 6 through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Indeed, thanks. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, when we are encountered with, with such powerful truths and upside-down realities, in the shock of grace, Lord, we say thank you. And Lord, we, we ask that in the time that we look at your word now, that 
every person here, the children, through the oldest here, Lord, would get something, that they would understand something about you and your grace. And Lord, that we together as a congregation would, through the exposition of your word and the exaltation of Christ, would become a more thankful people, a more generous people. Oh, Lord, I know and I understand that there, there would be, there might be people here who maybe in their hearts are crossing their arms, waiting to be challenged and under suspicion, Lord. I, I just pray that you would soften every heart, calibrate every conscience through your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be walking up and down these aisles through the course of this message um, showing us and giving us hope and convicting us, Lord, where we need to follow you um, in, in line, Lord, with the grace that you have given to us. Help me, Lord, to communicate this all clearly and compellingly and joyfully because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. This part of 2 Corinthians teaches us that God abundantly supplies for a lifestyle of generosity. This is probably a surprising way to put things. God abundantly supplies for a lifestyle of generosity. I think our text is basically set up for encouragement, and it's set up for encouragement in two directions. All right, we're talking about generous giving, in a sense, and the generous life. The first direction we will see is the gen that generous giving is an opportunity to throb with God's heart. And then we will see that generous giving is an invitation to trust God's power. Now, in verses 6 and 7, we see here that generous giving is an opportunity to throb with God's heart. Why do you use throb? Any, uh, you, we hear the term heart throb, or you, you get some kind of pain, or you've run, and your heart is just throbbing. It feels like it's going to bust out of your chest. So we all understand throbbing as a, as a physical, as a biological thing, right? Well, I want us today, I want us to feel somewhat of the throbbing that God has for his people and how he wants you in your heart to throb with his. So the, the Corinthian church is challenged here to participate in the offering, an offering that is being sent and brought by the Apostle Paul to the Jerusalem church. And the Apostle Paul basically boils down everything that Max had read earlier, and he said, okay, here's the point. So this is what the sermon, here's the point of all of what I'm telling you about the Macedonian church and your part in this gift. In verse six, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's, if you knew, know the uh, original language, it's much more poetic. Whoever sows sparingly, it goes in Greek, sparingly he will receive. And whoever sows bountifully, or reaps, sows bountifully, bountifully they will reap. Paul is illustrating from agriculture, all right, two principles, or a mentality. There's the miserly mentality, and there is what I would call the prodigal mentality. You say prodigal, isn't there the prodigal son, like in Luke 15? Yes. Uh, one aspect of being a prodigal is being wayward, but another aspect of the definition of prodigal is being lavish, is being generous. 
And this is what Paul is talking about here in terms of the opportunity to throb with the heart of God. It's illustrated in agriculture. So basically it's this. You put a few seeds down, you're going to get a little bit back. You put a lot down, you're going to get a lot back. Now for those of you who are super logical, you say, well, isn't too much of a good thing? It's, isn't that, won't that kill? Okay, okay I'm, I'm not the green thumb here. All right, maybe that is true. But the, the point that Paul is trying to make is that if you sow a little, you're only going to get a little. You sow a lot, you're going to get a lot. Proverbs 11.24 says it this way. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So you might be expecting in the course of a series like this for the preachers in the series to tell you, like, all right, tell me exactly how to give. Help us understand the whole distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So let me just spoil it and disappoint you right now. We're not going to be going that way to percentages and finer explanations of the law and how it applies to the Christian. But what we can see here is that in Proverbs, the Old Testament, the, the wisdom of God built off the Torah, God's law, is basically saying that, okay, generally in life, you give a lot, you're going to get a lot, you're going to grow richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. That's proverbial. It's not a promise. Okay, the temptation, especially with today's talk, the temptation will be to hear me in some sort of prosperity type of tone. So pray even now, brothers and sisters, that I would preach the word of God with all my heart accurately and not as, a, 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 as one of those hucksters that you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I digress. So it's illustrated by agriculture. But then... The Apostle Paul in verse 7 says that by participating in the offering, you have before you a voluntary matter of heart preparation. He says each one must give as he has decided, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. But let's break that down. He says each one. Interestingly, that same phrase is back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, where Paul is ending that letter, that first letter to the Corinthians, and he says this. He says, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, the Lord's Day, he says this, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. The apostle Paul is being proactive and in by, by being proactive, the apostle, he's saying, you need to be proactive about your money, about your gifts to God. So it's in each of you. So 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Paul doesn't change his beat here. In, a, in other words, in both texts, Paul prescribes prior deliberation in giving. Okay. So you need to think about how you're going to give. Yeah, I understand that sometimes we all make spontaneous purchases, right? Or sometimes we spontaneously give. I know you college students sometimes spontaneously ask dad and mom to spot you 50 bucks. 
Okay, I get it. So there is spontaneous giving that's certainly in keeping with human nature and is often good. But the apostle is encouraging us to think ahead, which is why he says in verse 7, each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart. Now, the book of 2 Corinthians may, may look kind of nice and suave in English, but it's a, it's a beast when it comes the, into the original languages because here he uses a word that only one time in the whole New Testament that is very near cousin to a word that appears in Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8 where it says that God foreknew. God planned ahead to do what? To lavish his grace on his people. Now get that. That is perfectly consistent with the character of God in that God, if God is the one who plans ahead for the good of his people, Paul is saying, you know what? You should plan ahead and determine ahead of time what you should give. Uh, Acts uh, chapter 11, verse 29. Here's the the apostle Paul um, and recording what was happening at that time as the gospel was spreading out. And it says here, so the disciples determined. There's that word. Determined. Get this. Everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So let me illustrate it this way. If you want to join a club or if you want to have a subscription on some really nice app or a health club, usually it's just a price that you pay. It doesn't matter. The the club, the, the, the app store does not care how much your income is. You, all of us, have to come up to that level of giving, right? There's no, like, don't we wish there was a button, like, you know, negotiate your own, name your price uh, kind of thing. That, that would be so nice uh, for, for life, right? That's just not how life and the economy works. Our economy would probably crash. But this is the thing about um, the New Testament, about the New Covenant Church and the Holy Spirit working, is God is giving the option to you, Every one of you should determine according to his ability. And that, so that's an Acts. Now it's here in 2 Corinthians. The apostle is saying it's decided in his heart. This, this doesn't just necessarily mean, oh, how do, I, how do I feel today? Oh, I feel happy. So I'm going to give a little more. I don't feel that great. I'm just going to hold some back. That's how I'm going to. Not, it's not necessarily about how your heart feels. And, okay? It is a, is a prior deliberation. There is no one-size-fits-all standard. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. God lavishes infinite grace upon us. You can't possibly hold in a cup or contain it. And yet he comes to you and says, well, one of the ways to, to, to respond to his lavish grace is that you get to decide how you're going to respond. There's no subscription fee after you join the church. So each of you determines according to their ability. And then he says, the big not. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. So whereas deciding in your heart means you have to actually overcome two, at least two possible temptations according to our text when it comes to letting go of your resources. The first says, not reluctantly. 
It really means not with grief or maybe some of your translations say with regret or feeling sorry. Uh, We get the modern um, disease that we call lupus. That's the same word here, not with lupe. But the, the root there is with grief, regret. Like, oh, you know how sometimes... You have a little extra cash, right? And you, and you, you know, somebody, it's just the right time. They caught you, you got the cash in your pocket, or you can, you know, beam it to them or however we do it electronically, Venmo it. And you're like, oh, this is what we call hush money, right? We give, we give in order to silence the asker. And that is not what God is proposing here for your joy. No, no hush money. If you're into the kind of hush money type of gifts, God's, God, Paul says, just keep it. Don't give it if, you, if you're giving it reluctantly or with grief or out of, oh, I feel sorry. Like you feel sorry for the kid at the grocery store who's selling Girl Scout cookies. Do you really need the Girl Scout cookies? Probably not. But you pity them. And God says, hey, if that's how you're going to treat my work and my people, yo, you better just stick with your cash in your bank account. I don't want that. I don't, I don't necessarily need your money. And he says not under compulsion. It's this idea of be, feeling, feeling forced. It, 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 it's the idea of something that's like, like bubbling and needs relief, pressure that needs to be relieved. Earlier in chapter 8, he used the phrase like extortion or exaction. What is extortion and exacting? That that means you're kind of forced to have to give. Charles Hodge said it this way. I think my slides are out of order. Sorry, guys up there. We love you. Um, Charles Hodge said this, the famous Princetonian um, professor. He said, let not those who give reluctantly or from the stress of circumstances or to secure merit. Imagine that mere giving, mere giving, is acceptable to God. Unless we feel it's an honor and a joy to give, God doesn't accept the offering. Brothers and sisters, there is a type of giving that is marked by selfish regard, self-centeredness, whether it's in the form of holding back, meaning being stingy, or Expecting something in return. That's called greed. There's a giving also that, in the the selfish kind of way, gives to appease or out of fear. You give because you fear that something's going to happen to you. As if God is a boogeyman. That if you don't pay God his ransom money, something bad is going to happen to you or to your family. Better to just keep your money. God doesn't want that money. God doesn't want offerings and money driven by fear. In other words, just because your church or just because the person that benefits from your money accepts your money doesn't mean that God has accepted it. Let that sink in for a moment. Just because you have given and somebody has taken. And it's the religious kind of giving, right? doesn't mean that God Almighty has looked down on that gift and says, oh, money released means my approval. Not so. 
There, there, there's not a consistent story, say, in the, in the whole Bible, where we see that people who give are always blessed by God and approved by God. We'll see a little bit more about this next week. So, and just because you give doesn't mean that you're, somehow your spiritual net worth is increasing. Because God doesn't need your money. You know what God is concerned about? God is concerned about your heart and your joy. Cheerful giving is generous giving. And that's the only kind of giving that God accepts. And I know for some right now, that is, that is registering rather dissonantly. That, that feels, you know, uh, like, you know, cat claws on the chalkboard type of thing. Like, all right, I know I'm supposed to give, and, but you're saying, according to Scripture, that the only kind of giving that is acceptable to God is, is the cheerful gift. Well, again, let me tie the Old Testament and the New Testament together in the spirit of the law, if you will, in the spirit of, of the heart of God and God's generosity. Deuteronomy 15.10. If you were looking this up in, even though uh, uh, Old Testament written in Hebrew, you looked this up in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the exact same words that are used in 2 Corinthians are actually used here in Deuteronomy 15.10. You shall give to him, that's the poor, freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. So you want to have a conversation about percentages and values and, and worth across the Testaments? Um, let's just leave it at the fact that God is a generous God has always been a generous God. He was then and he is now. And he establishes his law and a community around his law, the old covenant then and the new covenant now, around his generosity. That has not changed. Uh, can I say it this way? God isn't a grumpy pants. And I think that's sometimes how we treat God when we give to him. We, we, we give because we think that God is like this, like, I don't know, he's like your landlord that doesn't live on the premises. And he's just, he shows up, she shows up and says, rent's due. Come on. Just like that. Poker face. God is no grumpy pants. And when you give reluctantly, say out of obligation at best, you're being disingenuous about the resources that he has entrusted to you. And at worst, when you give reluctantly, you're lying about what kind of God he is. If you're giving to a grumpy pants God as a way to kind of get him off your back, you're saying something false about the God of the gospel, the God who gives. Don't tell me that every preacher in the United States is motivated by money somehow. I would probably say that most of the ones I know aren't. They want to be faithful to the God who gives everything. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we have this obligation, this stewardship as pastors 
to disciple you in the grace of generosity. That's why I started by saying, I want to, I want to hold out a live wire of grace current to you today. I want you to grab hold of it. It's life-changing. You know what? It won't kill you. King David said in one of his Psalms, he says, I was young and I was old. I'm old now. And I said, he said, I've never once seed, seen God's people begging for bread. So we're not here to talk about will God meet your needs. We're here to talk about will God meet, give you the ability to meet other people's needs. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's what verse seven, uh, the end of verse 7 says. Friends, what this means is that God's, God's heart just throbs when his people reenact his generosity to them, to him. What you have received in God, are you reenacting in your life? Friends, generous giving is an opportunity to beat with God's heart. If you've ever had the pleasure of accompanying a woman into an ultrasound when she's pregnant, they slap the jelly on the woman's you know, tummy, and they start, the, the sonographer goes, and is trying to, she's trying to, well, she knows the mother's got a heartbeat because she's sitting there, but they're going and trying to find what? They're going to try and to find the heartbeat of the baby, and as she gets it, she says, everything stops, and you hear the... And what happens? Everyone in the room smiles. And then sometimes you hear a little jazz thing going on, right? Mother's in the baby's feet. And what's going on? That baby's heartbeat doesn't exist without the mother's heartbeat. And here you are invited to throb with the heart of God. God's generosity, God's lavishness on you is what causes you to pulsate and to throb with his generosity. That's why Jesus said, well, I don't know if Jesus said it, but the Apostle Paul said Jesus said it, and we can't really find it, but it does sound like Jesus when he says, it is better to give than to receive every time. I love what my friend, pastor of Naperville Presbyterian Church, scholar, pastor Dane Ortland says in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, he says, this generosity is releasing to others monetarily in a way that echoes what God has released to us spiritually. And get this, he says, self-divestment is the best investment. Let that sink in. For those of you who don't know English too well, I had to look this up too. Divest means you let it go. Invest, we understand that. Invest so we can gain a bigger return later. This is his conclusion from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, is that self-divestment is the best investment. You want an investment? You want a, you want a, return, a spiritual return that goes a long way, way past your life? Let it go. Because you can't take it with you. You heard Eric read last week. As an introduction to the sermon last week, read Luke chapter 12. The guy who gets richer, what does he do? Hmm, I'm going to buy some more land. I'm actually going to tear down my smaller, uh, I'm going to 
No knock on us city people. I'm going to gentrify for me. And God says, oh, you fool. Tonight, your life is required of you. And what's the point Jesus said? The point is, is that his, he was not, not rich towards God, implying that the grace-filled life is one that is rich towards God. And that's what we're trying to teach here in these sermons, is that you can be rich towards God. So I ask you, how is your heart? Have I, have, have, have I touched on any nerves here today? That's, that's okay. Because generosity isn't about an amount or the physical resources that you have. God-glorifying biblical, biblical generosity is about the state of your heart. God's not as much interested in your pocketbook as much as he's interested in your heart. Because some of you can part with money and never miss it, never think about it again, without having given your very heart to God. And isn't that so curious in chapter 8 here? That what does, how does Paul describe the Macedonians? Remember, the poor Christians who gave. He said they gave themselves first. Acts of generosity begin and end with us giving ourselves constantly to God. The apostles' tone in this letter, especially here, is one of encouragement. Paul doesn't just see the Corinthians' potential for one special offering. You know, people are like, oh, can we do, that's one gift, right? Is that what Paul's, is that the only thing? Like, okay, we can pony up for this one. Maybe we'll never get a letter, another appeal from him again. No, I think what Paul is gunning for here is a whole lifestyle of generosity. Maybe the Corinthians were saying, great, Paul, you know, that's farming, but, you know, we're city slickers here in Corinth, and uh, money and banking rules are a little different. You know, we live in this great city, but it's expensive. And you don't know how much debt I carry, Paul. You don't know how many mouths I have to feed, Paul. To which Paul now, in verses 8 through 15, invites us to trust God's power. In verses 8 through 11, we can continually trust God's power to multiply the supply. I love verse 8. And God is able to make all, count the alls and the everys here, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's four, right? There's actually five in Greek. So the point is, is that God, for everything God, God is all, 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 every, every, all. God has the ability. To make you abound in every good work. Verse nine is curious. It uses this um, Verse 8, it uses this phrase, all sufficiency in all things. And it's only, this is only the second time it's used in the New Testament. The other time it's used is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And you know this one where it says, Now godliness combined with contentment is great gain. So what is God saying here? Well, well if God's calling me to be generous with my money, that means he's going to just give me a bunch of money to give away, right? Maybe. 
what Paul is really saying. He's laying the foundation for you. He's saying that God is actually able to make you content. And who doesn't want that? If you're a real Christian, in a sense, who does not long to be more content? How, how discontent are we? How much do you catch yourself complaining and murmuring throughout the week about your state of life, how much money you don't have? Or for some people, they have so much, they don't know what to do with it or how to spend it or just let other people spend it. It goes both ways. God is able to make you content. Verse 9 is actually a quotation from Psalm 112. You know, you might think, oh, this, this is talking about God. But in the context of Psalm 112, it's actually talking about kind of like Psalm 1. It's talking about characteristics of the righteous person, about the blessed man, about the blessed person. He or she is distributed freely. She is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What are you saying that his right, like, man, we only reserve his righteousness endures forever. That's a thing for God. Yes, true. That's the base. But practically speaking, the righteous person conceived in the Old Testament is the person who, when they give, their money and the effects of their generosity outlast them. Their offerings go into eternity. That's what's happening here. A truly contented person is one when they let go of their money, does it joyfully, and they know that the ROI is still to come. And they're good with that. His righteousness, her righteousness, endures into eternity. Now, what is that based off of? Well, let me just say it this way first. Your reputation of righteousness will endure far past your death. Can I, let me say it this way. Generous people are legacy people. You're a lot of talk about legacy, right? Well, the legacy that the righteous person leaves is, one of being profligate, liberal, prodigal, generous with their money. What's that based out of? Well, earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about eternity and salvation, and he ends this great uh, discourse in chapter 5, and he said this, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Where, where does your ability to be generous even come from? Paul is saying it doesn't come from your bank account. It doesn't come from all your hustle. Your ability to be righteous as it pertains to your pocketbook and your resources comes from being directly linked in union with Christ and having his righteousness. Oh, what glory that is. I give because I stand righteous in Christ. And I want to continue as, as by God's grace and his power and his strength to leave that kind of legacy. And then verse 10, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's like a rehash of verse 8, but in light of the, the kind of legacy reputation, remember that God is able. Who does this? 
You look at this and you say, man, I know somebody who gave a million dollars to my school or a, a half a million to my, to my family. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying when I graduate, I'm taken care of because of such and such a, a, a relative. And I don't know, like, how in the world could I ever be like that? That's not the question. The question should be is, who makes people like that? It is God. Bringing the agricultural illustration now full circle, it is God who supplies seed to the sower and puts bread on the table. That same God who when you leave here in the next hour and you go eat, all of that, all the processes to get your chipotle, you know, farm to table, all of that, all of that uh, is coming from God. So that when you sit down to pray, you can actually pray and say, thank you, God. Thank you for everyone who had a part in providing this meal. Thank you for the means that you have given me to supply for myself and for my family and for others. That's really what the point of jobs is. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Everyone should work with their own hands so that they may be able to provide for themselves and have enough to give to him or her who needs. Verses 11 through 12, he drills down and he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. At the very base, other people's needs are being met when you are generous. I think it's Randy Elkhorn that says, um, two problems are solved when people with means give, all right? Okay, the person giving and the person receiving. You're released and blessed, and the other person who needs gets. But he says the opposite is true too. Two problems perpetuate if you don't give. So give, give to supply for other people's needs. If I can sort of button up this part of our text today, the story of a guy named Orville Rogers may encourage you to trust in the power of God to live generously. You may not know Orville Rogers. He was just a, he was one of those who was part of the greatest generation. He and his wife, Esther Beth, I guess grew up in Christian homes, but Orville Rogers, having grown up in Oklahoma, graduated in 1940 from the University of Oklahoma with a mechanical engineering degree. While he was in college, he also got a pilot's license. But he really wanted to serve the Lord, so what did he do? After he graduated from college, he went to seminary in Texas. And it so happened that while he was in seminary in Texas, the draft for World War II came about. And his number was way high on the list and he was selected to serve, end of seminary. He goes into the the Army Air Force. You know, the Air Force didn't exist at that time. He goes in, and he goes as someone who was training bomber pilots for World War II. And then he had the privilege of actually being a pilot in the Korean War. And once he got done with his military service, He gets hired by, I don't think this airline exists anymore. It's called Braniff Airlines. As a young guy, he's making $110 as a new pilot a month. 
okay? 110, and because he was low on the totem pole, what would often happen at that time is the guys at the bottom of the totem pole would get furloughed because they didn't need the pilots. So he and his wife, Esther Beth, would have to weather those times, and they did. But you know what? They were also tithers. They grew up in, that, in homes, and their mentality was, we give. I don't know if it was 10%, I'm not sure. But they heard somebody come and challenge them at their church to give more. And then they were convinced that they should do more. And more they did. Orville was the kind of guy who saved all his tax returns. I could not be that kind of guy. After seven years, adios, don't want that. But he did. As if he was part of my grandma's generation, that means everything got saved, like decades of the Chicago Tribune, but I digress. Anyway, as his story goes, Orville Rogers calculated his earnings, get this, from the military service through his legendary pilot career. And he had earned, in that career, just shy of $1.5 million. Now, you may say, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. No, just spread it out. When you start at $110 a month, which most of you make now these days in more than that in a week or maybe a shift, that's probably average. And shortly before his death in 2019 at 101 years of age, Orville and Esther Beth Rogers had given $35 million away. Now you do the math on that. You can't. It's because God supplies abundantly for a lifestyle of generosity. And if you're here trying to like do the math and figure that out, you're missing the point of the sermon, actually. I get it. It's okay to try to figure out the math, but save that for later. In other words, what Orville Rogers and his wife did is they took the sparkler that God gave them, and they lit it, and you know what God did? He put on a massive fireworks display with their one sparkler. And that's what 2 Corinthians 9 is telling you. Light your sparkler, and you will be surprised at the beautiful display of fireworks that God will do through you. Now, when you get a bonus or a raise, do you think, ooh, God must be blessing me? Well, yes, that, that's true. But have you ever thought that maybe he's actually testing you? This line of thinking comes from Randy Elkhorn in his book, The Treasure Principle. Get this. this, this. He says, God, pros- God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Now, I'm not going to be the preacher who tells, tells you what to do with your bonuses and your raises and your inheritances and all of that, okay? Because this is about grace. The whole thing is about grace, all right? But maybe you ought to think that as, as you grow in life and get older and make more money and have more means, is it merely so that you can buy just a little bit nicer car, a little bit bigger house? I don't know. Or... Is it because God actually wants you to grab the current, grab that live wire, and hang on to the electrical experience of generosity as in Christ? 
We trust God's power to increase fellowship and love continually. So this is not just about you. You say, okay, I'm on board, yo. I'm pastor, I'm, I'm with you. I believe in this. But here, this is not just about you because we trust God's power to increase fellowship and love continually. Look at verses 13 and 14. By their approval, um, th- this would be the, the Jerusalem saints of this service. They will glorify God because of your submission, that is your giving and coming down to this, comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them, Jerusalem church, and for all others, while they, Jerusalem church, long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. You know what generosity does? It blows your network up. It increases fellowship and love consistently. It's just like the innocent firstborn child when, when she finds out that mama's expecting the second child and, and, she's, and she knows that she feels the love from her mama and she's like, I mean, what's gonna happen? Is, is mom, mom's love for me gonna get like split between two people? And all you mothers out there understand that, no, as the children multiply, your heart grows. And that's what Paul is talking about here. As we give and as we grow in our generosity, our network of love and fellowship grows. And this you can see in Acts chapter chapter 21. Here's living testimony to that 2 Corinthians is delivering. It says there in Acts 21, verses 19 to uh, 21, that Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. Through Through an offering, through an act of generosity, thousands of people believed. Lots of people were thanking God. That's what you want. That's what happens. John Reinhardt, who is the author of a book called Gospel Patrons, he says this, God builds beautiful things on the backs of friendships. So when we are giving generously to other people, we're not just merely transacting. Here, you can have money, okay? That was good. Nice to meet you. Hope it goes well. No, you are building your network. You are building friendships. I'm going to come back to Orville Rogers. Enter a character named Bernie May, who met Orville Rogers in the 1960s while they were serving on the same nonprofit board. See, Bernie May was a, had a career as a mission, missionary pilot. But Bernie May wasn't always a missionary pilot. As he became a Christian and it was growing, he happened to hear a lady speak in church, and her name was Rachel Saint. Rachel Saint was the widow of a guy named Nate Saint who had been executed by the Auca Indians in Ecuador along with Jim Elliott and the other guys back in the 50s. He heard her talk about their lives and their ministry, and he said, that's it. That's my purpose. And so Bernie May, instead of becoming a commercial pilot, became a missionary pilot and was able to penetrate areas of the world and continents that you couldn't actually get to. And through his work, he's, he was able to facilitate the translation of many Bibles into different languages. 
and you have these two guys sitting on the same board of a nonprofit. One a commercial pilot, wanted to serve Jesus, go to seminary. And the other, a missionary pilot. Friends, when you live generously, you are in for a fun ride, the ride of a lifetime. And I realize I'm talking to people, mostly people here, whose, you know, your net worth is like negative, right, or, or zero, or you don't have a lot to your name, right? Maybe you have more debt. I get it. I get it. But I'm planting seeds now for you. And you, if you're young, or if you're middle-aged, in the middle of your career, you shouldn't say, oh, I'm going to wait till I make X amount of money, till I offload this debt or what. I know we should be wise, and I'm not going to get into, you know, debt reduction in this. It's not the point. But do you want a ride of a lifetime? Follow Paul. Follow the Macedonians. Follow the Corinthians. And see what happens. When we trust God's power, something else happens. Gratitude increases and overflows. You see that in verse 11. You see that in verse 12. And you see that in verse 15. You know what's interesting? Grace and gratitude go hand in hand. Grace is God's free gifting to us. But the word for gratitude in the New Testament is the word eucharisteo, the Eucharist. Embedded in the Eucharist is the term charis, charis, which is grace. They're like fraternal twins in the New Testament. Grace is used 15 times in the letter of 2 Corinthians. Ten of those times are right here in chapters 8 and 9. And Paul says in verse 12, let me read that again. Not only is it supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And I know I'm going over here, but I really want you to latch on to this live wire of God's grace into communion. What's more thrilling than meeting somebody else's need? Answer? It's growing in gratitude. My guess is all of us don't feel like we're grateful enough. You want to become grateful? Don't just become the recipient of people's gifts. Give. And you will start to notice something happen in your soul. That as you free yourself of this world's goods and all the surplus, that you grow in gratitude and how great it would be to be part of a church that grows, that the temperature in here when people walk in, they, they just don't hear mere thank yous because that's not what this is about. What they will leave saying is like, I don't think I heard anyone complain about anything. We have a booklet at the back table by Jamie Dunlop. It's called Why I Should Give to My Church. Very accessible. Don't fight over it. Read it. But I love the little phrase. I read this last night. Dunlop says this. If you have an attitude problem, it's because you have a gratitude problem. And friends, if the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, then love forgiving generously to God's people and God's work is the weed killer and the fertilizer for your life. And why am I preaching about this? This is not about a plan to merely rebudget our church and, you know, there, there are those things. I am preaching to you about this because I want your joy to increase. I want you to be really happy. A happy people is a holy people. Holy people is a cheerful people. A cheerful people is a generous people. 
Grace is so electrifying that it causes Paul at the end to just outburst. Like he can't contain it. Like his heart is throbbing. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. But what is he talking about? Money going to Jerusalem? No. He's talking about Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. What better gift is there than Jesus? What gift of grace? We sang earlier, is Jesus Christ my Savior? Really? What more do we need? We don't. You might be thinking, okay, Pastor, you actually really haven't put rubber to the road. Like, what am I gonna, what are you gonna do? Okay, I'm gonna tell you, this is what you should do today. Um, you should pray. I really mean that. You should pray about what you've heard today. And then I think you should study. Go look at your spending habits and stuff like that. And then here's the next step. This is really novel. You should pray. I'm serious. Again, pray again. And then ask for counsel. Maybe get a couple people in your corner and say, hey, do you mind if I share a little bit about my personal habits of spending and giving? Okay, if they say yes, then go for it. And then you know what you should do after that? This is really new. You should pray. Seriously, pray more. And then when you pray it again, go crunch the numbers and then do this. Come back next week. Come back next week. Maybe be more ready to give. Who knows? Maybe somebody's going to give you a gift. The point is, is that God's grace exponentially supplies for the generous lifestyle, and God saves us for this reason. Thanks for listening to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by God's word. And for more info for joining us for a worship service, for taking your next steps with us, please visit ASCCChicago.org.